Welcome to Consulting Growth Hour with me, Fahim Musa, where I break down key growth concepts so you can build a thriving consulting business. Check out the show notes for presentations and handouts as we go deep into the rabbit hole of consulting. Let's get started. So welcome again to the next edition, the latest edition of uh, Consulting Growth Hour. I'm very excited to present this topic, five ways to increase your fees. So let's get started. So today, what we're going to be doing is I'm going to be sharing with you, of course, five ways to increase your consulting fees. Now, these are these five ways are not step by step. They're not steps that you can take or anything like that. I'm going to share with you five ideas, right, that may be relevant to you, that may not be relevant to your specific situation, but more than one idea may be relevant to you as well. So just uh, listen to these ideas and see if this is something that is relevant and you can apply them accordingly. And towards the end, I have, like I said, uh, a new piece of training that I, uh, I want to share with you. And I'll probably, I'd, I'd love to get one of you to jump in and, you know, do a bit of a, you know, live session where we can kind of, I can help you with, uh, with, with that piece, with that topic. I'll, I'll more about it later. So, and then, then of course, as always, I'll have a Q&A in the end, okay? So the five ways to increase your fees, okay? So here's idea number one. Now, I know that uh, some of you may be, may, may be expecting to kind of uh, learn some highly technical or maybe even a, a financial model or something like that, which, allow, which will allow you to kind of increase your fees. But uh, I, I think that fees uh, pricing is a very, very emotional topic. It's so it's a, it's a visceral topic that uh, sometimes can fog your, uh, your thinking. So but the first idea that I want to present to you about increasing your fees is to simply ask for more. There may be nothing wrong with your strategy. There may be nothing wrong with your market. There may be nothing wrong with your offering. But you may be simply undercharging yourself um, because of various reasons. Maybe it's imposter syndrome. Maybe it's, uh, it's fear of, uh, of losing out. Or yeah, maybe you just want to, you know, some quick, uh, quick cash at the door. So you're in that situation. So, you know, you maybe may have priced undercharged once. So now that's your fee for, the, for your, all, all your other projects. So, and I've seen this time and time again, not just in my business. I've faced it, you know, several times. I've learned the hard way, but I, I see this with my clients as well. They have certain blind spots and individuals have blind spots. You're not able to see because you're in your business. You're not able, you don't have an outside perspective. So as an example, I worked with a client recently uh, in the last, in the past one year, very successful consultant, um, successful in other fields as well. And we went through his pricing. Right? So he was pitching to a billion dollar organization um, and it was, there were a lot of moving parts to the, uh, to the project. There was consulting, there was a bit of executive coaching involved. There was, uh, you know, multiple strategic business units. So there was a lot, there were lots, there was lots going on. Right. Um, and so we went through the pricing and one of the, the unit pricing, the unit pricing was, you know, per individual, it was, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a consulting component, there was a training component. So it was priced per individual, you know, based on certain value metrics. 
And uh, so we started to deep dive on what those metrics are and why that consultant chose that specific price. And you know, after much discussion, I really found that you know there was no reason, right? Because that was the price that he had charged before, and he was you know simply continuing. But we dug a little deeper into what was going on in the project, what value was being delivered, what uh, pain was being taken away, what type of organization was this, what was the um, outcome that the organization and even the department would get if the the project was delivered successfully. And then I, I, I realized that you know she he was really he was, he was really undercharging, and all I suggested very simply was to double the fees. There was nothing technical. We didn't change too much of the offering because the offering worked, but uh, you know doubling the fee it, it was a bit scary. But then when it was presented, it worked. They didn't even flinch. The client didn't even flinch, right? So a lot of the times we feel that you know we need a specific or complicated pricing strategy, but you know, mostly, um, most of the times you'll find that it's, it's a mental thing. So if you feel that you're undercharging and if you feel that everything else in your business is okay, um, then consider simply increasing your fees and doing nothing else, okay? That's idea number one, okay? Idea number two, okay? Now here's the other thing that a lot of the times we feel that we need to change our services and we need to, you know, look at um, different uh, types of clients, you know, different, yeah, different types of clients or different uh, verticals and so on and so forth. But one way which really works to increase your pricing is to simply move up market. Uh, you might have heard this, uh, heard me saying this before, but it's, but it's okay to hear too, uh, to keep hearing the same ideas again. Uh, that's part of the reason we, uh, I do these sessions because sometimes you need to hear things more than once. Uh, moving up market, moving to uh, doing almost the same thing, not changing too much of your services, but simply, you know, if you're serving small businesses, then try and serve mid-sized companies. Most consultants serve small businesses, right? Um, because there are, most, most businesses are small businesses. But if you have a service, a valuable service that you're doing really well at um, and you're able to deliver an outcome for a small business, then an easy way to increase your fees is to simply offer that service to a mid-sized company because a mid-sized company or even a larger business would value those services uh, much higher than a small business would. Okay, so that's that's another way you can look at in terms of increasing your fees. So you don't have to do much. Yes, you'll have to kind of tweak your services a little bit. Um, you may have to uh, tweak your offering a little bit, but a large percentage, a large uh, the majority of your service will be the same. And I did this in my business as well. I owned a digital marketing company once, a consulting company, and uh, it was a done-for-you service. And uh, I was comfortable serving small businesses, um, 100 people teams, 50 people teams. I never thought I'd venture, venture uh, outside of that, that zone or that size of company. But then I got a referral. Uh, it was a larger business. I delivered the service. And I realized that it was, you know, 80, 90% of the, of the project was the same, was the services were the same. I had to slightly tweak my offering. Um, initially, we were doing like, you know, a single or a two, a small number of campaigns per uh, client, five campaigns. And it was a digital marketing agency. So we we're doing advertising campaigns. 
So I was doing like five campaigns per client, but the larger business wanted like 20 or 25 because a lot of moving parts in the business. So uh, we had to rejig the team. We had to get a few more subject matter experts, uh, et cetera. So uh, in that respect, there was, a, there was a slight change, but the actual technical work was not very hard. It was not very different. And uh, you know, this uh, client was able to pay me more. I was able to charge much more. Uh, four times what I usually charge. So that was a, a very pragmatic way to increase the fees uh, without doing a lot. But again, like I said, there are some caveats here. You, 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 you want to be um, certain about uh, the needs of the business because uh, the use cases and the needs may be slightly different, right? The offering must be tweaked according to the needs. Uh, and also, you also got to be you got to remember where when as you move up market, one of the things that happens is your sales cycles increase. So the time it takes for you to to, to meet a client and then close a client uh, may increase. So you got to be prepared for that because the larger the organizations, the more uh, individuals there are um, in the decision making process. And the, you know, if you're serving a really large company, then then you know it gets bureaucratic. You may even run into procurement. Uh, and, and those kinds of things. So the sales cycles differ. Um, the, your offering also may need to differ. But from a technical perspective, you may not be doing, th- you, 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 you'll likely be doing um, almost the same thing as you, as you did for a smaller kind of business. Right? So it's interesting because, again, this is a mindset thing. We limit ourselves. We think that you know, um, we want to increase our prices. We want to, you know, be more profitable, but we'll stay in this zone that we know that we're comfortable in and, uh, you know, we'll do whatever it takes here, but then there must there, there's another route where you simply move up market. So consider that if you haven't considered it, if that's something that is relevant to you, then think about it because, uh, it's, it's practical. Okay. All right. So how's it going? How's it going so far? Um, can I get some comments? Or some uh, feedback in the chat. Is this going according to? Is this valuable? Just so I know. Okay, thanks, Ahmed. Thanks for the feedback. Yeah, it's so, good. I mean, I, I would echo what you say about uh, larger companies. Uh, I, I do most of my work with larger organisations, and the, the sales cycle, as you call it, is definitely extended. Yeah, and then you run into procurement as well, right, Ralph? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. Yes. That, and, yeah, uh, yeah. Procurement can often uh, contradict the <laughs> agreement that you might have with the, with the end client, so that can complicate things. Yes. So that's that's what you're going to be mindful of. It's uh, uh, smaller companies are easier to deal with in terms of the sales because this is typically uh, either you're you're speaking with one individual or just a bunch, a couple of individuals. But then as you go higher, it does get, um, um, you know. Uh, longer but here's the thing it's a, it's a good point we you talked about i mean uh, we were talking about this because uh, and and i've mentioned this before in in my other webinars is that you know for individual consultants solo consultants and small boutique firms a great and i'm, I'm generalizing here a little bit but uh, again consider it if uh, if it makes sense to you i've found that a great market segment is the mid-sized segment i define a small business as a company or an organization with, an, with employees of under 1,000 people. Um, the mid-sized segment, 1,000 to 5,000. And a larger business, you know, 5,000 and above. You know, the 5,000 and above businesses are used to hiring, you know, big name, brand name consulting firms, the, the, the Deloitte's and the BCG's and whatnot. The, so 
sometimes it's harder for smaller companies, consulting firms, to land those larger clients. I'm not saying it's impossible, but you know, it uh, oftentimes you'll be fine. You'll find that you're competing with uh, um, with these big name firms, and you know, in these big firms, big consultants are are, are brought in a lot of the times as insurance. Nobody wants nobody. Nobody got fired for hiring McKinsey. You might have heard that saying. Right, so the mid segment, right? The mid segment is uh, is interesting because they typically don't want to hire very large consulting firms because they don't want they don't have the budgets for them. Uh, so there, there's a lot of opportunity for consultants. So if you're a small business consultant, you can look at that mid size and kind of you know um, uh, carve a niche for yourself in in that segment. Uh, I've seen that work uh, a lot of the times, and you know in my management consulting practice. I used to, um, you know, play in that segment as well, uh, for for certain for certain clients and certain, uh, you know, um, verticals. Okay, I'm going to move on. There was a a quick uh, break we took there, but I'm going to move on to the third idea. So we talked about two ideas. One is simply ask for more. You may be undercharging, uh, and there may be nothing wrong with your strategy or your offering. Number two, move up market. Okay. Uh, number three is. An idea that you may have heard time and again, not just from me, but uh, other folks uh, in the marketing field, it's that of specializing, right? In your consulting business, uh, typically you grow your business based off of referrals. I did it, most of you have, have done it or are doing it. Uh, and it's a great way to, 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 to get your business off the ground with, through referrals. But oftentimes what happens is that as you grow your business through referrals, you don't have control over what type of referrals you get, right? So you suddenly without, you know, before you know it, you're doing five different projects for five different types of clients, right? And, and different types of, you're offering different types of services, right? So uh, that, you know, can can make you spread, spread yourself too thin. You do, you, you got to do various different frameworks uh, for each type of client, that that, that takes time. Um, you jump from industry to industry. There's a learning curve as well for you to understand each new client, right? Uh, the money may be good, right? And I'm not saying it's wrong to do this. I mean, initially, you want to make sure your cash flow is uh, is taken care of. So it's okay to uh, uh, to do that. But there's a limit. You'll find yourself burning out. You'll find yourself not knowing who you are to whom. And you, you know, if you have a goal of growing beyond that, you may not know where to start or where to focus or how, you know, how to build a marketing plan in order to grow. Because when you don't have a focus, how do you build a marketing plan, right? And how do you kind of uh, charge more when you don't have a focus? Because you're doing five different things for five different people. Um, and you get you get a, a referral. You don't necessarily have. You're not necessarily a major expert in you know any new service that or any new uh, industry or, or vertical. You know a new prospect is in, right? So when you're in that situation, you typically want you typically start by offering a lower a lower fee because you don't have leverage in those situations, right? And uh, that's okay because that's okay in in uh, in the early days to get your business off the ground and get your cash flow going and keep the, keeping the lights on, but uh, that because you charge a lower lower fees, it, it begins to take a toll on your business, on your health, on your relationships, and you know your your free time and all those things. 
and especially like because you you because you're unable to charge higher fees. So the third idea to uh, help you charge higher fees is to specialize, right? Uh, move from becoming an order taker, saying yes to everything that comes your way, to specializing. Think of it this way: like uh, in the medical profession, you have generalists, general physicians, and then you have um, neurosurgeons, for example, right? The general physicians are, um, you know, they they treat all kinds of uh, low-level illnesses. But uh, when you have a real costly problem, you know, a neurological problem, or you need surgery, you go to a specialist. Okay, and those specialists. They focus only on those. They've, they've, uh, you know, they're uh, the professionals in that segment. So they don't do too many of these surgeries, but they get paid a uh, hell of a lot more. They got more free time. Their their reputation is, uh, you know, that the more surgeries they do in that specific field, the better they get, and the the more uh, in demand they are. You know, same thing applies to um, a consulting business. Right? provided that in, you know, the specialty you're in is in a growing market and uh, it's, uh, there is demand for, uh, for that specialty. Now, this is a huge topic in itself. And I've done a 60-minute training on how to specialize and when to specialize and what you know, steps to take. Right? So if, if this resonates with any of you here, if you feel that you're in, the, in that stage of... Um, um, you know, moving from, from a generalist to a specialist, let me know and I'll send you that training. It's available and uh, I can just send that to you. I've done this before in one of these, one of these sessions. Okay, so that's a, I don't want to get into the hows and the, and the processes of specializing, but that's one a phenomenal way to increase your fees. Okay, so that's number three. Now, number four, I'm excited about this one because this is something new. Uh, that I want to present to you. This is uh, an idea that you know you need to be building value into your messaging and your and and your discovery conversations. So pricing is or pricing is is a function of value, and you know everyone knows that. But what does that even mean? Like people say, add value, create value, you know, uh, demonstrate value. But what does that even mean? Like nobody talks about what value is and how you create value and, uh, and how you use all those elements of value and increase your fees. So I recently read, read this book by Alex Hormozy. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce his name, Alex Hormozy. Anyone heard of him? Just uh, type it in the chat. I'm just curious uh, if anyone knows him. So he wrote a book called $100 million Offers. Okay, I think I thought it was a pretty interesting book. And in that book, he talks about the drivers of value. There are four main drivers of value. And I want to share that with you today. So here's the name, um, Alex Hermosi's book. This is the book called $100 million, $100 million Offers. Okay, let's just check it out. I think it's a, it's a good resource. So if you're interested in this kind of stuff, then uh, definitely pick it up. So I've used his framework, Alex's framework on how to demonstrate value. So he's got a value creation framework, right? So it's the same thing. Like, how do you demonstrate value? Like uh, before you make a sale, you don't, I mean, you, you need to demonstrate value. You can't, you're not creating value because your values act, real value is created once you land the project and you do the work. But here you are demonstrating value and it's perceived value, right? How do you, increase the perceived value of your firm and your uh, 
your consulting uh, services, right? So here are the four drivers of value, okay? So number one is the dream outcome. So when you're presenting your services and you're messaging and you're even talking about your services to a potential client during a discovery call, you want to understand and you want to demonstrate that you know what their dream outcome is. And, and if you don't know it, then obviously during a discovery conversation, you should really try and understand that. What is their dream outcome, right? What do they really want? Um, and can you in some way, shape or form quantify that and make it tangible, make it specific? I'll give you an example uh, as you move forward, but you know, value is a function of what your clients can get and what they want is their outcome, is, is their dream outcome. They know it, right? And if they don't know, if they haven't kind of uh, mapped it out in their head, then you, you need to ask the right questions and understand what their dream outcome is because outcome is a function of, of perceived value, right? If you offer somebody their dream, dream outcome and you know how to like deliver their dream outcome to them, then your perceived value increases, okay? The second driver of value is perceived likelihood of achievement. When you're speaking with a client of a potential client, a prospect, they need to perceive that they'll get there. They'll get their dream outcome. They'll achieve their dream outcome if they hire you, right? Um, they need to know, they need to understand and, per and perceive that you know, the, the outcome is achievable and it's highly likely uh, that they'll achieve it if they hire you, okay? So the way you increase your, uh, the, the likelihood of achievement then, and, and show the likelihood of achievement is through case studies, through proof, through uh, your domain expertise, right? So the first couple of drivers of value is, uh, are things that you, you need to be increasing. You need to, these are, these are drivers that you need to push up. You need to demonstrate that you can get them their dream outcome. Right, uh, and then you need to demonstrate that you need, you can, you know, it's highly likely that you will, you know, get them the, the, the result, right? So these are things that you you want to increase when you're creating, when you're demonstrating uh, value, right? The third driver of value is time delay. Like, how long does it take? How long will it take for your client to achieve that dream outcome? Okay. Number four is effort and sacrifice. How much effort and how much sacrifice will um, your client or their team need to put in to achieve their dream outcome, right? When they start working with you. And these two things, time delay and effort and sacrifice, you need to kind of drive down. So you need to kind of make sure that you can, all, you can, get, you can get your client to the dream outcome as fast as possible, okay? As fast as is uh, ethically possible, right? Decrease the time delay and decrease their effort and sacrifice. If you're going to offer something that is going to be a huge sacrifice and effort on your clients, a potential client's part, that's going to drive down the value, the perceived value of your services, right? Um, so you need to make sure that whatever you're offering, your client does not have to make you know, a major effort and sacrifice. Uh, a good example that Alex pro uh, give, provides in his book is that this is the reason, the reason the, the effort and sacrifice driver of value is the reason why the, father, the, the, the health supplement industry is twice the size of the fitness industry. Health supplements are just like, you know, they promise quick results and with, with, with a uh, lesser effort. 
right? But the, but the fitness industry, which, uh, you know, has a similar uh, dream outcome, which is health and fitness, um, is valued much lower because the effort and sacrifice, you got to go to the gym, you got to do the, do the work, that's high, right? So the, uh, the more you can kind of show that you can bring down the effort and sacrifice, the, the higher the perceived value of your services, okay? So now what I want to do is I want to do this with, uh, with someone, I need a volunteer, okay? So I wanna do this live uh, using your business uh, or your idea uh, or your service as an example. And let's do this uh, and, and just, you know, so that everybody learns through an example. I like learning through examples. I don't like too much theory. So I wanna, you know, who's up for it? Amit, good. Just unmute yourself and, uh, and jump in. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> good. So what's, uh, what's your service, uh, Ahmed? Uh, we are structured engineer consultants in Edmonton, and uh, we practice in Alberta and British Columbia. So structural engineers. So what what do you do? What is that? Uh, um, yeah, we do we do design drawings for buildings. So we are the one who are responsible to calculate the cross sections required for buildings, mainly concrete, structural steel, and uh, timber framing. Okay, and who is uh, what's your market segment? Uh, what do you mean, market segment? Who, who, so your target, audience, your, your target audience, yes. Are they construct the real estate companies, construction companies? Oh yeah, we we are hired by many people. So mainly uh, project owners, developers, or okay. uh, architects, or uh, contractors. Okay, and uh, so out of those, out of project developers, uh, architects, and contractors, who is your ideal client? My ideal client is is uh, directly with the owners. So there is no uh, middleman, <laughs> I can say. So owners of, let's say it's a project developer then? Yeah, a project developer, yeah. Okay, so they're developing a project. So when you, let's do the first driver of value, the dream outcome, right? So the, and I've kind of uh, used Alex's framework and I've added a few things from, uh, you know, my understanding as well. So you can kind of uh, relate it to, to B2B, business to business consultants. So um, when you talk about your dream outcome, you want to, clearly identify what you know what your client wants to win retrieve escape or stop right whatever is relevant so these project developers right um what's what's at stake here like uh, what do they want the most they want economic economic design and they want fast construction this is what they are looking for okay from a structural engineer like how would you help in those two outcomes what do you, what would you do you would give them blueprints. Yeah, I can. I can them. I can. We we need to have like kind of uh, design optimization. So it's not. I mean, we can we can pick a we can pick a cross section like two three feet by three feet if it's gonna make sense. It could be safe, but it's gonna be cost a lot of money. So this okay. is what we this is what they are looking for. That they need the minimum cross sections or mean minimum components that can sustain the loads without any safety issues. Okay, without any safety issues. So they obviously, you know, obviously safety is a huge issue when it comes to yeah, uh, your work, are, we, right? Yeah, because we are following the, the National Building Code of Canada and there is a certain requirements uh, to follow that and uh, make sure that our, our design are, are matching. So uh, some clients say, okay, I can do that. But when, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you tell them that this is a safety rule, then now they, they put... They, they come back and say, okay, just follow what you're doing. 
But a lot of uh, structural engineers will be following the will be compliant because that that's part of the. I mean that they have to be compliant, otherwise they wouldn't be able to do projects. Yeah, exactly. Not, right? yeah. Yeah. So then, what is your promise? Like, what do you bring to the table that allows your clients to get that dream outcome? We try to convince them that we did our uh, many iterations, maybe two times or three times in our design process that we came up with this design, but we find out that this is going to be costing you a lot of money. So we make an optimized design second for second time. And we are going to, we managed to decrease them, the cost of the project, but still we are safe uh, from a code standards. Okay, so you help them with many different types of iterations and designs, and make help them make the right decision, right? So, so yeah. that so that they that the building is safe at the end of the day, right? Yeah, because our our, our cross section is translated to uh, quantities of concrete, quantity of steel, quantity of timber. So the any percentage of reduction is gonna save them a lot of money. Okay, so then how would you quantify their their outcome? Like, so they obviously want, want a safe uh, building and a project and they want, would you quantify it in terms of, like you said, they want far, they, they want things fast, right? So I use, does your work help them save time? Does your work help them kind of, uh, um, you know, in any other way, can you, how do you, how, how would you quantify that? Um. Time, time is very important because I mean, um, when 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 you apply for a building permit, I mean, you have, imagine you have a project in Toronto and you have a big land and you want to develop for three-story commercial building, for example. So in order to, you're gonna not start this right away. You have to prepare drawings, set of drawings for different disciplines, and you go to the city of Toronto asking, okay, this is my drawing. We need this to be approved. So this process takes like like six, four to six months. So the, we need we need to be fast to in order to prepare this document because not, we know that's going to be taking some time from from the from the municipality uh, which is going to approve or have comments or reject uh, this project. Do so you get the approvals, or does the developer get the approvals? Um, most of the time, it's either the owner or the architect. They are allowed okay. to get the, the approval, not the engineers. Okay, so but here, here's the thing: like, yeah, the for a structural engineer who's going to come in and provide you know the uh, um, uh, the blueprints and you know all the all the data, um, obviously it's because obviously the biggest outcome is that you have a very safe building, right? Yeah, it's it's always a question uh, that do you have do you need a big margin of safety or the, the enough margin of safety? It has to be safe, anyways. That's that's the bottom line, right? Um, so for a um, so they want to escape. Obviously, they want to kind of uh, make sure that they don't have any um, safety issues. Does it help them in their revenue generating activities in any way? Yeah, I mean, um, I saw some developers that that changed some themes from um, structure patterns. So they used to do like. Uh, four-story timber framing or something. Uh, so we, we sell it like normal price in Edmonton and Calgary around 300, 350. But when they changed the, the materials to concrete and steel, they managed to sell it for 500 and 600. So the, the amount, because they know now that th this is more durable uh, component that you don't have to worry about wear, wear and tear at some point. 
So as a structural engineer, will you be giving them input on the types of materials that uh, they they could use? And Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, right? of course. So is that, is that, can you kind of, uh, is there a practical way for you to um, demonstrate that your, your work and your expertise and your advice will help them increase the value of their projects? Yeah, I tell them all the time, of course. Before we start the project, we, we, sit, we sat down with them, uh, explaining to them, uh, first understanding their, their, their input, what they're looking for, what their budget, and then we plan with them, okay, this is your best option. You can do this, you can do that, you can do that. So he, he has ultimately the choice to choose, depends on what, what, what he has in the uh, so, yeah. cash. So the depth of your expertise um, and the, 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 the way you have that conversation and demonstrate how you can kind of uh, increase the value of their projects and make, make sure that they not only have the, uh, a, a building that can then drive, which, which they can then drive more revenue from and also have the safest option, the way you kind of position that is, and the way you kind of quantify that would be that dream outcome. Now, obviously in this session, we were not gonna to go too deep into it, but I understand that there are ways you can quantify that and, you, and present that so that the your property developers know that they're gonna get the best possible outcome that they want in the first place, okay? Um, yeah. In the second piece, okay, uh, perceived likelihood of achievement. Now uh, here, how do you demonstrate that they're going there, you know, they've, they've taken the right decision and they're gonna achieve what they already achieved. Do you have case studies? Do you have proof? Do you have references? Do you have, you know, how, 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 how long have you been doing this and what kind of domain expertise do you have? We normally, I mean, if, if somebody came up with an idea that, okay, looks to us, doesn't, I mean, we don't like it or something, we try to explain the pros and cons, definitely, to try to give them a, a, a full perspective about what's what this opinion and why we are thinking that this should be the right way. And uh, based on case studies, of course, and based on past projects. So like, for example, we had a client, we were, built, we were designing a, a gas station in Calgary, and uh, the owner, for some reason, wanted uh, timber trusses to be used for the roof. And because of the supply chain issue, uh, not sure about Ontario, but we are facing a very long lead times for uh, timber supply in Alberta and West Canada in general. So I told them, why don't you use steel? It's, it's, it's there, it's available in the market. You just, just order it in the next, next week or something and you'll get it. And with the prices of the timber going up, now there is no much difference between timber and steel. Uh, although you are going to get more robust and more reliable structure than just doing it from timber. Right. So that's that's an example of where you use your expertise. Do you have documented case studies or, you know, um, examples like that, that your pro prospects are aware of that? Here's here's what you did. Here's the the expertise that you brought to the table. And here's here are the results. Right. So when you speak to a prospect, they should know everything about your past projects or you should kind of present that to them. So that they know that, you know, if they hire you, they're, they're going to get that dream outcome, right? So uh, is your business currently doing that? Can you, are you? Are yeah, you... We, we, some, sometimes, sometimes they ask about, okay, 
what was the cost of the material for that project? And then we can provide that, that number for them. Okay, this is like 20, 20 tons of steel. Okay, how much is this, how much? Then you can, you, can, you can shop around and get the price. So normally we pro provide them like uh, with the material quantities because all these drawings, I mean, all our drawings, all our work eventually has to have a material list, right? So yeah. this is will will go out, and this is where the where the cost of the project comes. Either it's the cost of the material and the cost of the labor. So they have to sum this up, and then this is the project budget. No, but uh, but what I'm interested in is that your your past successes, right? You've done you've done, you've been a structural engineer for many years, and you've been doing a lot of these uh, projects. So. Is there a way you've documented various successes, various types of projects, case studies of how you've solved certain problems um, and uh, had all of these other clients, past clients, achieve these outcomes that you are you are promising? So not uh, not, not not much to be honest, Fahim. It's just uh, we just record um, what lesson learned to be honest because right. this is what we want we want to avoid in the next project that we we face that we have to record this is and also this is a requirement by the right. by the engineering association here that you have to record for every project that you did what went right what was good what was bad and right. how you're going to solve that so maybe there's an opportunity here that uh, where you can uh, increase the perceived likelihood of achievement by uh, demonstrating everything that you've done in the past that were uh, that was successful for your previous clients. Okay, now uh, now moving to time delay. Now here are the things that we we want to decrease, Ahmed. So in terms of you know getting how fast can you do this work? Like uh, you said, they want they, they want the work done fast. So um, how fast can you get them their result? Uh, there is there is many ways. I mean, when we tell them we can do fast, we we assume that all the inputs that we require from them are available. Yeah, yeah. and Pro then assuming the inputs are available. Yeah. So and then we can deploy our resources if we have to need to hire extra guys or some here and there, so we can just achieve a, a deadline. Normally, the normal time for for a building. Is going to be like two or three weeks or something. So this could be up to from three to six people working on that full time. Right. So um, the time delay factor in, in demonstrating value is, is a big opportunity for service-based businesses, especially consulting businesses, because a lot of the times we're not very consultants, like including like I've, I've seen this in my own business as well. Like we may not be as organized uh, to complete the work all, all of the work in time, because you know it's we're, we're dealing dealing with intangibles, right? And sometimes things can go wrong. So the best consultants that I've seen is they they promise, you know, that certain work will be certain types of work will be done, you know, in a specific time period, and that increases the value of their services. For example, I know a restaurant consultant. A consulting company uh, here in Toronto, uh, very successful, and uh, they promise to fix restaurant operations in in fifteen weeks. So they 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 have a specific service called the fifteen weeks uh, fifteen week fix, right? So uh, they've designed it so that it's they have a specific outcome at the end of fifteen weeks, and they go through every single process. So and when you look at their competitors, right, like people uh, who are who 
promised the same thing. They, they're very iffy about, the, about how long it would take and so on and so forth. Obviously, when you pro promise a time, you, you have to lay out the assumptions, right? You know, you need the inputs from the client. Any materials you need from the client should be given in two business days, for example, et cetera, et cetera. So when you kind of try and decrease the time, the, the, uh, the, uh, the time in which your client will get their long-term outcomes, then um, there's, a, there's an opportunity to increase the, uh, the value. Now, sometimes, you know, outcomes can take a long time, right? Sometimes a, a, like a strategic plan, planning outcome can take about, you know, 12 to 24 months. So that typically is long, but then can you kind of decrease the time in which they get some short-term experiences, for example? Yeah, I can give you like a, mostly like a, most of the project that we work with, we, we have a specific submission at a certain time. So we can show that, I mean, 30% 30, 30 progress. So this right. is like what we did, what we start with, get the concept approved from the client, then get the feedback, and then we go to the next step with the 60%, and then 90%, and then issue it for tender. So we always, uh, it's not like we stay in our, uh, in our office for a long time and then, okay, this is a project done, 100%. No, it's... <laughs> Because we want to show them also, because this is this is like a kind of long-term project, and we need to be paid, right? So we have to be paid, but we are paid by a monthly invoices. So we have to show them that we are working already and we are moving for progress. And but this is again, I mean, this is like for a defined scope projects. Sometimes we get with a client that doesn't know what they need, so it's kind of a very very yes. vague very very vague opportunities or vague thought of process this is what we what we faced last year with bc hydro we were working with them because it was a very vague scope we didn't know what what the what they need it took us so we the concept of agile has jumped into place in that part because we thought, okay, it's not going to work with a lump sum price because you guys don't know what you need and you are changing a lot of things. We are going to make um, a model or something or like a, a certain time deliverable in two weeks and get your feedback first. And then when you, when you get this outcome from us, you make your consulting in between the companies, whatever, and get your thoughts in before we dig deep and make a more progress in that. Okay, so for that, Ahmed, um, I understand that a lot of clients, you know, in our industry, like we we rely on our clients to provide us with inputs, provide us with, you know, a lot of a lot of the times we we get clients who don't know what they want, right? We have to tell them what they want and what is possible and, and stuff like that. So they're disorganized, they're vague, etc. Right. So when it comes to the time factor, you can't really promise unless you know something. But what you can do is you can promise a time. Right, let's say it's a 30-day uh, promise, but then you add qualifiers. So this is valid. We can do this in 30 days, provided you, you, know, you provide us with all, all of the inputs, provided uh, this, this piece is done, provided that piece is done. So, but what, what, what happens is that when you, when you um, uh, go out with a big promise like that, it attracts various types of people because, you know, like I, like I said, when you decrease, when you decrease the, the time, you increase the value. When you, get into, when you get into a conversation with a particular prospect, 
then you can say that, look, yes, we promised 30 days. I'm telling you up front, but here's, here's the qualifiers. Here's what needs to be done. But the fact that you, um, you tell the world that you can do things in a, quickly and in that time period um, increases your own value. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. So, so the final piece. Yeah, so normally we, I should just, just to confirm what you're saying, we are just putting like time blocks. So this is in two weeks, you'll get this from us and we get the feedback and then move on. Like right. tangible time timelines. Right, yeah, I get it. Now, just to, uh, quickly on the effort and the sacrifice, right? So here, here are the, the, you know, the tangible and intangible costs of your clients. So typically when you do a structural plan, you're gonna do it them, your, yourself, your team, right? You're, you're not gonna kind of, how involved is the client gonna be in your output? Uh, he's, he's only involved to approve the concept. Once we send it out to him, this is where your beams are, or this is where your columns are, this is your slab, this is the, the approximate dimension. Are you okay with that? Once he say okay, then we move on. Okay, so that's good. So in your business, there's no the the the, the effort and sacrifice expected from the client is less, right? Yeah. Lots of other consulting businesses, uh, the, the client has to be involved. It's there's a bit of a you know a DIY uh, component. Uh, there's, there may be some coaching components. So if, if a, a potential client feels that they need to do a lot of work uh, in order to get that outcome, uh, they need to make a, a lot of effort and sacrifice, then that decreases the value of your proposition, right? So when you, and this is for everyone, when you kind of develop your value proposition, make sure that the effort and sacrifice as far as possible from the client's end or the client's, the client team's end is, you know, is low. If it makes sense, for your specific offering. Because when you decrease that, you increase your value, okay? So so thanks, uh, Ahmed. I hope that was that was helpful. I mean, I know we had just a, a limited time and, you know, but, you know, I hope that was at least, at least gave you some kind of a, uh, an outline as to, you know, how you can think and in increase perceived value among your target audience. Thanks for having me, thank you for this, uh, for this demo. <laughs> awesome, okay. So Reem says, most of the time, clients do not know what they need. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's, a, that's pretty common. I agree with you, Reem. Okay, just very quickly, the final idea for increasing consulting fees. Now, we've, we've talked about four ideas. Number one is ask for more. Number two, move up market. Number three, specialize. Number four, build value in your messaging and your discovery that we just saw. And so the fifth piece is brand. Build a brand. And when I say build a brand, I mean build affinity with your network and your community. Become a leader in your, in your network and your community. Because when your potential clients see you as a leader, they will be drawn to you. It automatically increases the value in their eyes, right? And then, you know, if, if they feel that you, they resonate with the way you are and your values and your expertise, then they'll want to work with you. You know, you'll get a lot of people coming in um, wanting to work with you. And when that happens, price is not the biggest issue. So uh, make sure that you build affinity by building, building a brand. And, you know, the way you build a brand is build a network, uh, be consistent in building your network wherever you are, build a community. Right, a community of people that uh, are interested in the subject, 
right? This is what I'm doing right now. But, and teach and educate, right? When you teach and, you, and educate what you know, you build trust with your community and uh, you build affinity with your community. And when they're ready to buy, they will uh, think of you. You'll be among the first people that they think of, right? Uh, and when they think of you and they, they come to you, then you can charge higher fees or not charge higher fees, but, but fees is not uh, the biggest issue on the table. You see, I know consultants are busy. I know you folks are busy. I've run a consulting business myself and I've, I know how busy it can get, but there are ways to organize yourself and, and build a brand for yourself. Like look, look at the top, the best consultants that you know, like in our industry, Peter Drucker, Tom, uh, Tom Peters, uh, Jim Collins, uh, Clayton Christensen, and, and thousands of others. The best consultants are prolific educators. They write books, they educate, they teach, they build a brand, right? And when companies call them, they don't talk about price. They want them, they want this, that individual to fix their, their problem because they have either read their books or they've gone to their seminars or they've gone to their, you know, attended a workshop and so on and so forth. So no matter how busy you are as a consultant, I mean, if these really successful and you know, busy folks can, uh, can do it and do it prolifically, then so can you. And, and you folks, I know every single person in this uh, training, you know, all you folks have deep expertise in something, right? And knowledge in, in some area. Otherwise you would not have chosen to become a consultant. So you have the knowledge in your head, right? Now it's time to build a brand and, and you know, share that knowledge with, uh, with other people and build affinity and build, uh, build trust. That's how, that's one way, another way to increase your fees. Okay, any questions on any, anything? Um, I know we haven't uh, talked about the hourly fees versus the fixed fees versus the value fees. If you have any questions on that, you know, I'm, I'm happy to kind of uh, stick around and- uh, I have a quick question if you don't mind. Yeah, of course, go ahead, Mohammed. Yeah, so this is Mohammed Siddiqui from, from uh, GT as well again. So quick question is, and I wrote it down on the chat box as well that, my work is, is, is a kind of, you know, with the, uh, in the healthcare domain, especially for AI and, and business development, pricing, marketing, all those sort of things. Now, my work is not measured mostly in hours and I, I'm not, you know, used to it. It's more of a kind of value-based, you know, like outcomes. But most of my clients so far, they insist on the per hour. So I need a quick answer or a quick fix, you know, how to, get them either on a value-based lump sum payment or how can I train myself for this per hour thing? Please. Okay, okay. very quickly, I'll tell you, in certain industries, yeah. certain industries, for example, IT, right? Uh, you said you're an artificial intelligence. I know, the, I know for a fact certain industries like IT, for example, clients are used to hiring in a certain way. They're hiring per hour, right? So if you're, if you're, a new new, if you're approaching a new client, if they if they are they insist on hiring per hour and you need the business and you're competing with other folks, practically it's going to be really hard for you to change that mindset, right? Mm. So if depending on how important the client is and depending on the value of the project, right? To get the business, do 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 what you have to do. If it's hourly, to get the business, do it. But as a goal, make sure that you you build a relationship with the client. You, you make sure that you demonstrate the value that you brought to the table for the client, just how we've talked about in the dream outcome phase. What, what, did, what did you help them win? What did you help them escape? Where did you help them stop? Can you, can, can you quantify 
that value uh, in different ways. And when you have that conversation, as you build a relationship with that client, you can convert them and say that, look, here's the value I'm bringing to the table. And here is how I'd like to price further. So the value-based approach is, it does work, but it does take time. There is, you need to build trust before you do that. Just going in to somebody and doing the first project value-based, they'll hire somebody else because clients don't know, uh, don't know better, right? So the key in value-based is the trust. Build a relationship, build the trust, and then demonstrate what you've done already for them in the previous project, right? Then, then they'll be able to see that, look, Mohammed Siddiq is coming and here's his work that, he, that he's done and look at the benefits we've got. So now going forward, you know, here's his proposal and let's consider it. So there you need a bit of uh, relationship building, salesmanship, uh, communication skills to convert that. Excellent. Thank you. Awesome. Okay, so anybody else for quick questions? Okay, Rob. Not a, not a question specifically, but uh, for me, I think out of those five, what stands out is this uh, approach to building value uh, during those discovery sessions. And I think, yeah, I can see how that would apply. And I think I've probably missed some opportunities in the past to do that. I, th I think for me, the focus has got to be on that dream outcome. What does it look like for them? And how do we quantify that in, in, in my case, in pound notes? Because um, I, I work with clients who are looking to win new business. So I'm helping them to bid for major new contracts. Now, the value of the contract, that's already in their sites. They have it in their business plan. I think perhaps where I can help them is um, either to minimize the cost of bidding for that work or to help improve the likelihood of winning the work. Where I have to be really careful, of course, is that I mustn't put across that, you know, the difference is me. The difference between winning and losing is me. I, I think that would be incorrect, um, unwise as well. But uh, I may be able to save them a bit of time and effort uh, if I can take over responsibility for certain parts of the work and that might relieve, say, the CFO from getting involved in, you know, in the detail. So I can see, I think from what you've said there, I can see a few angles that I could go after. Yeah, I think that a lot of business outcomes, most business outcomes can be quantified. So, you know, you can quantify them in terms of increased revenue. It can be quantified in terms of the cost savings, not just the decrease in cost, but, you know, cost containment, for example, or cost displacement, taking this off the balance sheet and putting it off the, of the P&L statement and, and putting it somewhere else. Um, it can also be quantified in terms of if you're, if you're if you're like, I know this may not apply to you, but in terms of uh, people like culture consultants that I work with, let's say, how do you quantify the value of culture? So then we talk about, okay, how does the work that you do impact absenteeism? How does the work that you do impact uh, attrition? Does it increase the rate of attrition? Does it decrease the rate of absenteeism? And then we put some scenarios, right? And we make sure that, you know, these scenarios are based on actual work that they've done, right? So that the key in, 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 in talking about the dream outcome is also, um, and of course this applies to the increased likelihood of achievement uh, driver as well, is that, you know, what have you done before? And how can you, you know, present to the client that the, these outcomes are possible, right? It's in consulting, it's really hard to say that, you know, this is exactly what you're going to get, 
But you can say that, look, here's what we've done before and here's how we worked before and here's what's possible, right? And here are the qualifiers. Now, when we got these results, these clients did this X, Y, and Z, right? And, but we've got these results. And here are the case studies. Here are the, the things that we went through. Um, here's what we did. Here are the challenges we faced. And uh, we've got those results. So that increases the, the perceived likelihood of achievement as well. So when you're positioning the, the dream outcome, you want to first, uh, you want to understand those four questions, like the, what do they want to win? What do they want to retrieve? What do they want to escape? And what do they want to stop? Right. And uh, through that, you can uncover what's important to them and then quantify that. So, you know, that there are ways I've always found that there are more for most business outcomes. You can, you can quantify them and then it makes it makes the conversation much easier. Yeah. I hope that makes sense. Uh, John, thanks so much. Uh, and Wendy as well, Peter. Great. Thanks. Thanks all for joining me. I hope this was helpful. And then, uh, you know, I look forward to seeing you guys uh, in two weeks for the next edition of Consulting Growth Hour. Ciao for now. Thanks for listening right to the end. I appreciate your time. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and connect with me and say hi on LinkedIn. For video replays of these sessions, check out our YouTube channel. And most importantly, join us live to get all your questions answered at Consulting Growth Hour Live. All details in the show notes. See you next time.